Welcome to Between the Shelves, the premier Save a Library podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and this is our third best of 2023 episodes. Thank you all for joining me. Well, I should introduce who you are first. Um, on this episode, I'm joined by our director, Jen. Hello, everyone. Thanks for coming. I'm also joined by Peter. Hello. Hi, Peter. And Marianne, head of Teen Services. Hi, Alex. Thank you all for coming. So we have a lot to talk about in this episode. I'm sure we're all very excited to share our favorite things from 2023. Um, I have a, a book, a show, and a couple albums to talk about. What should we go into first? I think we should start with the books. Let's start with books. Okay. So this is my third best of 2023 episode, so I'm sure people are probably sick of hearing my recommendations. But if you can only hear one of my recommendations from this episode, it's my book. This is my number one book, period. This, oh. this is maybe my favorite book of the decade so wow. far. It is so okay. I know what you're going to say. Good. Do you? I do. do you? Um, okay. Well, <laughs> my book of the year is Northwoods by Daniel Mason. It is the novel of a piece of land, not a novel about characters. And it starts in the colonial times, and it works its way up for through about 400 years to the near future. So each chapter kind of leaps ahead in time, sometimes just a few years, sometimes a generation or more. And the whole thread is this plot of land. Correct. That's the only constant throughout the novel. So it starts again in the colonial times with this young couple who breaks away from their Puritan village and builds a house on this plot of land in the north woods of, I think it's outside, I think they say it's outside of Springfield, Massachusetts, but it's in the northeast, New England area. Um, So... That's kind of the first story, and then the next chapter kind of go leaps ahead to, I believe the next chapter is like Native Americans who kind of come in and, and take over the land, and then the next chapter will be uh, like the, the nature, like mountain lions or something that inhabit the land, and then so on and so forth. So it, each chapter kind of tells of different inhabitants of this land. Some are human, some are animals, some are trees, and some are supernatural. So who's the narrator? Is it the land itself or, or is it third person? It changes every chapter. Okay. So not only is it uh, the inhabitants changing each chapter, but the style of writing changes as well. So some chapters are narrated in, um, you know, from third person, typical. Um, some are more poetic. So like when it's a, the just nature has taken over and there's no humans or animals involved, it's more poetic kind of language. Sometimes it's just verse, like a a chapter will just be all written in verse. Um, Sometimes it will be letters exchanged between people. Um, So the the writing style is amazing. Daniel Mason is a fantastic, fantastic writer. He covers all these different styles of writing, but also because the novel takes place over 400 years, the, the writing language itself changes. So it's it's an amazing feat of writing like this. I don't know how he did it. It's it's a spectacle to read. It's worth reading it just for that alone. I'm sold. Have I, have anybody else read it? I did read you, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I did it? read it. Um, I have a different opinion than Alex. <laughs> That's good. That's why we're here, right? And uh, mayhaps my mindset was different. Um, I did not love it, unfortunately. Um, I thought it was difficult to stay focused on it because there were so many, like, 
changes. It was very disjointed to me, all the different narrators. Like once you got invested, that part was over. Yeah, and there were some stories I really liked. Like there was the one with the sisters. Like that was my favorite story. But um, I just, I found it disjointed, hard to like stay on focus. It was like every time I got back into it, I had to like really focus again to like get back into it. Um, And I found like throwing in of like the verses and the poetry just kind of felt like out of place. Uh, the writing was great. I loved the whole plot. I thought it was like such a fascinating um, plot, like to write a book like this. Like the I, concept, yeah, the concept. Yes, um, you know, the writing was great. Uh, it, you know, it probably was just my mindset. Uh, I do need to revisit it for my own professional reasons. Um, but and maybe I'll have a different opinion when I revisit it. But did you guys read it or listen to it? I listened and read along. Okay. When you read it, you did, I did the same, same thing. Yeah. Okay. I read it on my lunch breaks and I listened to it. Okay. You know what I'm yeah, I'm always interested to hear, especially yeah. when there's verse or any kind of poetry involved. It's always interesting to hear. Yeah. We'll say though, I do know other librarians that <coughs> absolutely loved it. So I could yeah. just it sounds be like the, my type of book. I'm, I'm, I could just be the you know abnormal yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not for everybody. Yeah. I, I will I'll admit everybody. that. It sounds like it's for me though. I'm excited to yeah. read that. It sounds a little bit like uh, conceptually anyway, like Cloud Atlas. I don't know if you ever. I've never read Cloud Atlas. But it is similar, yeah. like going down in time. But mm-hmm. I think yeah. those the connect. There's more of a thread. There are threads that connect the chapters. It's not a book of short stories. There are threads that connect them and some of the characters actually return uh, as some as myths, some as uh, ghosts. So things like that. There are characters that kind of come up and back and then of course like nature itself is omnipresent throughout the book. So my kind of related but it's a TV show. It's not the one I was going to talk about today but it's my favorite TV show. Uh, Fargo. I don't know if anybody else watches it. Oh, I just started watching the new season. Ooh, John Hamm and Juno. Juno oh, she's oh. got to win all the awards. She is amazing. They're in all the seasons, no. or just, just so the seasons it's an different, right? Series, okay, so right. So it, it all the the common thread obviously is Fargo, but each seat and murder <laughs> and violence. But I just love that show, and I love that. They come sometimes, you'll reference something, and it co- takes place in all different time periods. Last season was the Chris Rock season, mm-hmm. where he plays a dramatic role, which was very good to see him in. Um, but that kind of made me think of that, like that sort of like, this is your the root, but there's just so much stories over the decades. I do love it. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. so good. It's and this very season. Weird to hear. Um... See, or what's her name in uh, Juno. Juno, Juno, yeah. Juno Temple yeah. speaking Minnesota. in a Minnesota accent. And she nails it. She does. She nails it. She's yeah, the, she and John Hamm yeah. plays the bad guy and he's, well, you know, Mad Men is probably sure. my other most favorite show. So he is just top notch. But yeah, anyway, great. that made me think of that. So anyways, Northwoods, that's my book of the year by, you know, head and shoulders above everything else. Um, yeah. Endorsement. Uh, so this the one last note about it. So Daniel Mason, after I read this, I read two of his his books of short stories, and I get this is his only novel he's ever written. He, I believe, maybe he wrote one other novel, but I read his two books of short stories. He's usually a short story writer, so that's why I think it kind of adapts well to this sure. style of writing. Um, but man, it's so good, and I, I just I don't know. I can't say enough. Good another another book that was that kind of started off as short stories was Olive Kitteridge, and that series I know you've read that right, and I think there's two or three books in that series that did start off as short stories that she was publishing I think in a periodical or something and then and so sometimes you're in a chapter and Olive is 
forefront and then another chapter she's just sort of somebody passing around in the background but she's the thread Mm -hmm. and i kind of like those little so it's like especially when you're just taking a break for lunch and you just you kind of get a full story within the story exactly it's nice yeah so that's my book pick who wants to go next i'll go next um, okay, so my book pick, I have two, two um, books. So my first one is um, called How to Say Babylon by Sophia Sinclair. And this is a memoir. Um, it's 2023. It, uh, I read a lot of memoirs. I love memoirs. I love nonfiction. Um, this was by far the best memoir I think I've ever read. It's like the gold standard of how memoirs should be written. So um, Sophia is, she's like a young woman now. She's probably in her late 20s maybe very early 30s um and she's from jamaica and her father is a reggae musician and he um embraced rastafarianism when he was a teenager um his mother abandoned him in jamaica um and he was on his own he um, met a young woman who he ended up staying with and having a family with and they had four kids they moved in with her family in jamaica and it's all about how this father raises his family um practicing rastafarianism and i didn't know anything about this and so i had to the the reason why this book is so good is because it does start out and explains everything about rastafarianism which i didn't know anything about so um i did write down I looked it up again in preparation for this. So um, I'm going to read what I um, found to explain what Rastafarian is. Um, It is a religious and political movement that began in Jamaica in the 1930s. And they believe that Haile Selassie, if I say that correctly. Did I say correct? Something like that. um, Is God. And he was the emperor of Ethiopia at that time in the 1930s. Uh, One of the visions of Rastafarianism is uh, for blacks to return to Africa and redeem their homeland. They refer to the authorities that rule the world as Babylon. And Babylon is connected to the devil and ruled by the oppressive white man. Um, They're anti-capitalism. They believe that women are not equal to men. Um, They don't eat meat. Like, there's just a whole lot about it. And it's like just a whole um, social movement. And I learned so much reading about this. So um, as Sophia grows up, Rastafarianism isn't as well-known um, because this Hallie dies and and then um, Bob Marley also dies and he's one of the most well-known um, Rastafarianists. Rastafarians. Um, so there's not a lot of families like this in Jamaica where they live. So they go to school. They're very poor, these kids. Um, they're teased. They have a really, really hard life. They don't have a lot of money. Um, but all four kids grow up to be geniuses. And um, it turns out after several years, the dad's very abusive. Um, You know, he's really keeping the girls in the family, like telling them what their place is, which is to serve, you know, they're being raised so that they'll serve their spouses one day, while the one son in the family is raised, you know, so that he could be anything. He gets to go to school. He gets to do all this stuff. Um, But like I said, they grow up to be geniuses, they all get into great colleges. Three of them end up in the United States. And it's about how Sophia tries to get away from her family, because she finally realizes that, you know, this isn't how she wants to live. And, you know, my dad's abusive. And um, she ends up becoming a poet. And her dad says, you'll never make any money being a poet. And she ends up becoming a really well-known poet. And um, 
very successful. And so it's all about how she overcame all her hardships and um, how she um, like re-embraced her dad as she was older too, you know, realized all of his flaws and... um, and so it's about... But she was able to reestablish a relationship with she him. She was able to reestablish, as were her siblings. But they all took different paths in life. She became very successful. Her brother, um, you know, um, came addicted to drugs. One of the sisters um, won't have any contact with any of the family. So they all took very different paths. And it was written so beautifully and obviously poetic because she's a poet, but um, the writing was amazing. It was so well told. It was well paced. Um, it was really, really good. And she, if you listen to it, she reads it. Um, and I recommend that if you like memoirs or anything nonfiction or want to learn something new because I learned a lot reading this one. Yeah, sounds great. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, I love reggae music and I'm always interested in learning more of that the culture and it takes place in jamaica primarily in, yes yeah pretty much the entire thing is yeah. in jamaica um and then you would like it yeah because I, I and then i ended up because her father's still alive i ended up looking him up because he it was a well-known musician that toured the world and he made some cds and um and then i found his facebook page and i was like watching him perform um so that was pretty cool to like you know go one step further and really like get into get into it I was thinking that I, can't, I wish I could remember the title of the book and the book discussion here. Years ago, we read a nonfiction book that uh, was took place in Ethiopia and mm-hmm. um, talked about the original, Halle. what is it, Selassie? Selassie. Selassie. And uh, yeah. it was really interesting. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, and it did mention that that was, you know, he was the god of Rastafarianism, but... Right. And he was a bad person. He was a bad leader of yeah. Ethiopia and he was overthrown. But like the people that um, that embrace Rastafarianism do not want to hear about that. They don't, you know, they don't well, believe that. The negative part. They just only that. took right. the good, he is some good God. God. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Interesting. Should I go next? Yeah. Okay. So we're going to change gears just a little bit. <laughs> That's good. Um, I've read a lot of book, great books this year, but. You know, I have to stay on brand for me and push uh, my the latest Richard Osman book, the 30, Thursday Murder Club, number four, Last Devil to Die. So the gang from Cooper Chase is back together. So these are cozy mysteries. Um, they're, they're not too long, and they are beautifully narrated if you like to listen to books. So Elizabeth, Joyce, Ron, and Ibrahim are the original OG um, and they have a club that they meet. They live in a retirement community, and Thursday Murder Club is they. It started off with them finding some cold cases and trying to solve them. Um, the books are not really about the story as much as it's about these characters who have become. I don't know. They're super famous just for being who they are. There's you just fall in love with them. You want to be part of their group. They're amazing. Um, so an old friend passes away by uh, murder, <laughs> so not passes away, is killed, and they start investigating. It starts in the beginning of the new year, and so you almost have to suspend the fact that this quiet little community has now, I think it's fourth or fifth murder within a year or two. Uh, so you get past that part, you're fine. And the Joyce is 
Elizabeth is the head lady of the group. She kind of like leads the charge. She has, she was in MI6 in her, in her younger years. So she has a lot of knowledge, but she's coping with her husband is, is uh, slipping deeper, deeper into Alzheimer's. So she's sort of focusing on that in this book, which is beautifully written. Um, their whole relationship, Stephen is another beloved character. And so Joyce kind of has to step forward and Joyce is the more of a follower, but she really takes a leadership role and it's hilarious in this investigation of the murder of their friend. So we still have, I thought this was the best story of the four. It the actually, I, I thought it was the best book of the four. I think he's really found his voices and you still get to hear from Bogdan and Donna and Chris, all of your characters that you love. And there, I at the end. I listened to the audiobook at the end. There's an interview with Richard Osman, and he will be doing two, at least two more in this series. But he's taking a break for a year. He's been kind of putting them out almost every year because he's he's writing. I think either another book or another two books, and it has been what's the word optioned for a movie it's going to be directed by steven spielberg they're being very secretive about who is going to be cast everyone has opinions i think in a much earlier podcast we did maybe discuss who we thought should be playing the roles so it's a lot of fun and i just really can't highly recommend enough if you just want a good fun cozy mystery check in with your Thursday murder club. And I know Peter, you yeah, just finished, I finished it, right? it like two days ago. And yeah, I agree. It's the best one of the series. And it was funny cause I started reading it and I was like, Oh am I going to remember who all the characters are? And like the characters are so well-rounded, so full. They, I, I instantly knew, remembered everything it? about them when just seeing their name. And it was, I found this one, um, the story with Elizabeth and See. her husband with the dementia and Alzheimer's and stuff. I actually was reading it on desk and I almost started crying. I did I actually like, cry. I was like, I gotta get a grip. I'm yeah. like in a, at a public desk right now, but I, it, you know, my grandpa had dementia. Right. So I, it was very it was, touching, and it, I think I it was the best one. Yeah, and that particular, I mean, we all, most of us do have some, have been touched by dementia or not ourselves personally, but in our family or friends. So it really, he just really nails it in that storyline and. Um, his compassion and he talks the author t- in his little interview speaks a little bit about his writing style that um he never uses like adverbs or he the language that the dialogue because it's a lot of dialogue in the book is has to express whether they're being sarcastic or being humorous or being silly so he will never say like uh, joyce looked at her um, smugly, or he'll never use words like that. He will let the language speak, and and he nails it. He says he hears them speaking to him in his voice, in his head. Like he has all of these people living in his head, and good on him. He's great. So yeah, they're like you. I, you can't stop reading it. I like too that the chapters are so short. That like they're it, short chapters. Yeah. Can, like, I, I read it. I think like a day and a half. Yeah, and I think they're they're so like quick. Cause it's like yeah. it's like seventy chapters. They're very bite sized. Um, so when I was listening to, it, I love these characters so much, and I've I think I've mentioned this to Peter. When I listen to it, I listen to every chapter twice to kind of make it stretch out a little bit longer because oh, I just love hearing. They're so funny and humorous and heartbreaking and and great. So. 
bravo and highly we recommend. We need a more Ibrahim love story. Yes. I that's what I think they're building up. For the I think they are. We, we learn a little <laughs> bit about Ibrahim, which has been pretty closed yeah. uh, topic. And we learn a, about his first love, real love, um, towards the end of the book. And I think you're right. I think that's I was leading like, it's into. Over, they're not, they're I know. Not we're, further, I know. And I, I'm just thinking you're right. I think that's the lead in for the next book. We're going to learn more about his past. It's great. All right. Uh, well, if you want to hear more about the Thursday Murder Club, go back and listen to, I think, the, our mystery episode. One of our early episodes. Yeah, yeah. one of our earlier episodes. And I hope we'll do another one next year. So, uh, I read the first book for that episode, and I loved it. But I didn't read any of the sequels yet, so I'll have to get caught up for, for yeah. that episode. That's great. All right, Peter, what's your book? Um, perhaps unsurprisingly to most of you, my book is a science fiction book. Uh, it actually came out at the end of 2022, but until I read The Last Devil to Die, I hadn't read a book this year that came out this year that I thought was worth mentioning. Um, but this is uh, its a very interesting book. It's an author I'd never uh, read before, Lavi Tidar. He's uh, Israeli. And um, I found one of the descriptions uh, described it as machines roam the desert in search of purpose. And it's a fascinating, like, very short lyrical book about, it's not just robots, but it's about um, sense and emotion and sentience and what that means and how that could, how that could emerge in an artificial intelligence kind of way. And it's just, it doesn't have, I'm not a big plot person when I read a book so it's an interesting it's set in the distant future in Israel and Palestine and I just really fascinating um, kind of ruminations on sentience and also there's you know in the history of it there's a you know like generational conflict in this it's between um, robots and humans um, but it just uh, these characters that you it, it, you start to see sentience and emotion and sense in a different way and how you know that could if you're programmed to feel something when you see a flower is that different than you know having a biological response to smelling flower you know it's just really um lovely book it's in the same i i read this book after uh, his first book set in this universe was called central station which i read after even though it was earlier it's not really a series but it it's really hard to like kind of describe what happens because it's not really plot based but there's a, a robot messiah that the robots have their own religion and it's you know it seems you know, like when you describe it it seems silly kind of but mm-hmm. it's it's beautiful and it really made me think about um what uh being human or being i guess sentient means and how you know especially with everything going on now with ai and everything going on in the middle east it was like because I, I, yeah, I was reading it just as that all that stuff started happening, and it was, you know, I really highly recommend it. I, I since read Central Station, which I didn't like quite as much, but it's a little more conventional mm. story. But um, I highly recommend it if you like science fiction. I, I don't. It's not a good intro to science fiction kind of book. But can you read this without that? reading the? Yeah, they're not. A, it's not a series. They're just set in the same world, the same yeah world, yeah, the same rough time cool. period. It sounds really interesting. I'm, that's, I'm adding to my list. Yeah. That sounds right up my alley. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm adding yours to my list, too. <laughs> such uh, different books, right? We all had such... Yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. but all sound so good. Did you have a second book, Marianne? Or I did you? have a second book. Okay. Well, why, don't you, uh, why don't you do that before we change uh, gears? To talk about oh, am I, I'm the only one with a second book? Okay. 
All right, so my second book is, well, surprise, surprise, it's another memoir. Um, so this one is called Nobody Needs to Know by Pigeon Pagonis. I think we say her last name. Um, I'm sorry how we say their last name. So this book, I'm just pulling up things on my phone, so bear with me for a second. I'm pulling up my Goodreads. Okay, so um, this book is about um, an intersex activist uh, courageously chronicles their emotional and physical journey, enduring countless surgeries as an infant and child, as they and their parents were lied to and gaslighted by doctors into believing surgery, surgery as a medically necessary treatment. So um, I wanted to get like the exact definition of intersex, so I'm going to read what I found. Um, what does intersex mean? Intersex is a general term used for a variety of situations in which a person is born with reproductive or sexual anatomy that doesn't fit the boxes of female or male. Um, sometimes doctors do surgeries on intersex babies and children to make their bodies fit binary ideas of male or female. So this was a memoir written by somebody who lived through this. They grew up in Chicago and they are probably in their like early 40s now. So um, in the 70s and 80s when they were growing up, well, when they were born in the probably, I think the 70s, um, they were born in a Chicago hospital and their parents were lied to by the doctor that delivered Pigeon. Um, and they assigned her as a, they assigned them as a her, as a female. And they said that they needed lots of surgeries growing up, that their um, testes didn't drop. And I'm sorry, the testes actually didn't drop, but they didn't tell them that. So they, the doctors assigned them as a female. And they grew up not feeling like a female, not feeling like a male. And they kept going back for surgeries. And, you know, they kept saying, the doctors kept lying to them and saying, this is why you need surgery for in the future, when you have intercourse, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then you kind of go through like their dating life. They don't really, again, feel like they're female. Things just don't add up. Um, and then one day they're now they're in college and they're taking like a psychology course and their teacher starts talking about, uh, being intersex and, um, pigeon who, um, is not pigeon at this point. Um, and they start thinking, wow, this sounds like me. So they talk to their teacher about it. The teacher puts them in touch with, um, um, I think, I, for I forgot who, a well-known activist, um, an LGBT activist who is also intersex. And they all meet, they talk, and they learn that, wow, I was like lied to my whole life. They go back to, they get their medical records, they see all the lies, um, and they had told their mother that there was something... I forgot what it was, but th th there was something wrong with them. This is why they needed surgery. They needed surgery so that um, they don't develop cancer. I think that's what it was, so that they don't get cancer later on in life. But when they get their medical records, they see that it was um, that the testes didn't drop. They were removed. And so begins their life of activism and finding themselves. So they find their people, they um, confront the hospitals, they actually make changes too. And people that worked at the hospital didn't even know that they did surgeries like this. Um, and that doctors were choosing the gender of kids. So how much did the parents know? The parents knew nothing. They really just they trusted what the doctors to. were telling. Yes, and then they Pigeon finds out that all these other 
now, you know, adults were also, their parents were also lied to. And the doctors were just choosing what they thought the gender should be. They were lying. They were gaslighting the parents, telling them this is why they need this surgery. And then they were performing other surgeries on them. So it would be interesting to hear... And we won't. The doctors' perspectives oh, right. of what, how, what, how did they get? Because they are doctors, so they probably didn't st- start out as like evil people trying to decide all. fates. They were taught this is what you do if in yeah. this situation, and it was just a systemic yeah. lie. They thought they were doing the right, the right thing, thing, you know, to fit right. into those binary roles, right. but you know. We didn't know things. The awareness back wasn't then. there. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, so I wonder how they're they were in with denial that. for a very long time and it did take years of um, like protests and, you know, bills and yada yada activism. for them activism um, for things to change. But they actually did make a difference. And so it was a really great story about um, it's very inspirational. To know that this the one title person again? can do this. Nobody needs to know. Nobody needs to know. I, um, yeah. I, I heard them interviewed on the radio, actually. Oh, really? I, I'm adding that to my list. That sounds fascinating. It is really, yeah. I think it just, like, like it. goes to show that, like, nothing is as simple as, you know, either right. or. that, And that's how we, you know, we want to put things into boxes and nothing, nothing's that simple. Not everything fits into the boxes. Yeah. 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 So, and it's like, you know, changing the way, you know, these doctors were thinking and, you know, it's crazy to think that they're doing these like unnecessary surgeries to babies. I mean, they were six months old when I think they had their first surgery, putting babies through this, you know, unnecessary surgery. So, well, thanks for sharing that book. I think it could be really interesting to hear this story. And there's not, this is like, um, not a voice that you know, we hear often, there's not mm-hmm. a lot of, I think there was maybe one other, when I looked, intersex memoir. Right. Yeah, that sounds fascinating. Yeah, Thanks yeah. for sharing that. So, let's change gears again. <laughs> let's talk about some TV shows. Uh, mine's a little bit lighter in tone, but um, it's still a expose, I guess you could call it. Um, this was an HBO miniseries that came out this year called Telemarketers. Have any, any of you seen that? I watched that one. Um, it's a three-part documentary about a company called CDG, which is a telemarketing company that scammed hundreds of millions of dollars from businesses and um, vulnerable people. Basically, um, they were under the they would give the impression they were raising money for police unions, firefighter unions, cancer charities, organizations like that, when in fact only about ten percent of the money they were raising when they started was going to these charities. And then over time, uh, they got more and more greedy and that 10% dwindled down to 0%. And um, it's a fascinating documentary uh, because of the subject matter and how just evil these people were that that run this. This took place in uh, 2007 to the mid 2010s, I believe. Uh, or maybe even a little bit later, like more more recent than that. I mean, it's still technically ongoing. I don't want to sure. spoil anything. But um, it, the the filming of the documentary started in 2007 by uh, a 14-year-old high school dropout named Sam, who's the central character, I guess you could call him, of the documentary. He's the documentarian, technically. Um, so he, this company, CDG, would hire people that were unemployable, essentially, for minimum wage to be do, to work these call centers. And the documentary started by this high school dropout, 14-year-old, who would just take his camcorder to 
to the, the telemarketing job and record just the absolute chaos and insanity that would go take place there. I mean, there were drug deals happening. People would be shooting up heroin while on the call, while on phone, like calling people. It's insane. 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 Yeah. So all of this is going on. He's recording it and putting it on the like earliest stage of YouTube, okay. like early, early YouTube. And, and he's just a kid. He's, he's probably, just a kid. He no idea what's really like what is, he just knew something. was Something was going on. Right. So that's kind of part one of the documentary. And you're like, what? This company is crazy. Part two, Sam befriends this heroin addict named Pat, who. As one does. Has been working as you do. Right. Um, right. So Pat is a fascinating character, and I, everyone who watches this will fall in love with Pat. So Pat had been working at CDG since its inception, and he knows things. So it's kind of this, like, it becomes almost like a buddy comedy, where these two characters, and they are characters, um, are starting to realize that something's going on in this company, things are not right, and they start to investigate on their own. Now... A 14-year-old and a heroin addict are not the New York Times, right? right? They're not your most reliable... So they are fumbling their way through this investigation, which you're rooting for them the whole time, and they just keep tripping over themselves, but they keep making progress. Um, So that's kind of like part two. And then the cliffhanger of part two, I don't want to spoil too much, is um, something happens to Pat. So there's a... a, the, The trail ends with him, basically. So it then jumps ahead 10 years where Sam is now an adult and he finds out, I don't want to spoil too much. Okay. It's because it's so good. But anyways, so that's it picks up again. So that's pretty much present day, close yes. to present day. Pretty much close to present day. Um, something happens where he picks up the trail again. So it's a really fascinating story. Um, and when it jumps back into modern times, you kind of find out that these telemarketing companies have kind of shifted gears and they're now working with like CPACs and things where like the CPACs, because they're so mysterious and they don't have as much accountability, they can hide the money better. And it's just like, it's just layer and layer of seediness. And the deeper they go, you know, the higher they climb, basically. So it's really, really fascinating documentary. I was going to say, yeah, like, I feel like with the best documentary series like this, it's, you just like keep being shocked (laughs) by like, how far this goes and right. you do not give anything away or just like you're like you know you, you, more than once you just can't believe like you think <laughs> you know the story and, and then happening. something else happens yeah, yeah it just like you can't believe originally like these heroin addicts and are making all this you know company all this money but yeah it just you know you keep does it, getting does it like conclude after these three episodes it, it, it this is yeah it's not going to continue after that okay. uh, I will say the ending kind of anticlimactic okay but so the investigation is only one part of the documentary i would say there's the equal part of the documentary is the documentary of the documentary itself and the fraternity of the telemarketers which you end up you know really caring for these people because they're they're all down and out and you know they're their only way they can get by is relying on one another i feel like the the company too they kind of uses the fact that a lot of them are ex-convicts or drug addicts and they have no other options and they really kind of take 
advantage of that yeah. fact. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds really good. Yeah. Telemarketers? It's called Telemarketers. I think I'm going to watch that this I weekend. That. Yeah, it's, it's three episodes. Each one's an hour long. Oh, yeah. You that's easy. Really easy. Knock that off of tomorrow morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, my first job was a telemarketer. Really? It was nothing I like this. I worked as a telemarketer <laughs> too, <laughs> in high school. Yeah. yeah. And uh, phones, I did a lot of phone surveys. But it was uh, like I was in high school and stuff. Even those, you know, wasn't like this. But mm-hmm. it is the kind of job that... They'll take anybody because it's yeah, a normal job that everybody wants to do. A lot of turnover <laughs> I in those yeah. jobs. Daily news. And whenever the supervisor came by, I would call my, my friends and try and sell them. Because <laughs> the oh, so I like, hated it so yeah. much. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that neither of you were extorting grandmas for their no, pension no. money. <laughs> Just trying to get them to do surveys. <laughs> so that was my, that's my, my show. Should we reverse it? Yeah, let's yeah, reverse it. Uh, my TV show is, uh, I watched this year, the second season of The Bear, which was... Um, Lip. I had, I've been hearing so much about it. So many people have been telling me, you gotta watch it, you gotta watch it. I loved it. And Alex, I really think you so should watch it too, because I know you've worked in restaurants and people who don't know the concept. Uh, essentially, the main character's name is Carmi. He's played by Jeremy Allen White. People might know from Shameless. As left. Yeah. He, uh, his brother dies, and uh, they have. Oh, he's been working as like a fancy chef in like Michelin star restaurants in New York, and trained in uh, what is it, Nobu or whatever in Copenhagen, mm-hmm. whatever. It's like the considered one of the best restaurants in the world. So he's like a fancy chef. Um, so his uh, he essentially inherits this like sandwich shop in Chicago where he's from when his brother dies called the beef and so he moves back and he wants to take over the restaurant and make it into a restaurant and it's just like he kind of takes on the staff that are working there that have you know it was just kind of a a crappy you know Chicago beef I I don't know if you guys know about that it's kind of become a thing since the show least it's kind of like a a Chicago you know like Philly has a the Philly cheesesteak, it's yeah. called a, a beef sandwich. Anyway, it's like, especially the first season, it's like very stressful to watch. You're glad that's only 30 minutes because it's just the chaos of trying to get this restaurant working and going. And as the seasons go on, you know, it kind of gets progressively less chaotic and more ordered. And in the second season, there's still that... They, the first season, they're just trying to get, like, the restaurant as it is to kind of work. Mm-hmm. The second season, they're trying to build the, the restaurant that's called The Bear, which is... And uh, it becomes, you know... I, I think they really, like, present restaurants in a way I haven't thought of them play as, like, service in a real way, especially these high-end restaurants. And um, also as a way for... You know, you really get attached to these characters who he really invests in these characters who are... are these staff that work at the restaurant who were you know not trained chefs or anything he sends one of them to culinary school and sends a, the baker to uh, uh, an internship in Copenhagen and it's just really well written um, his family's in chaos there's one like probably going to hear in the Emmy about the, in the Emmys next year uh, it's a Christmas episode where it's his family Christmas and Jamie Lee Curtis plays his mom and it's oh, just I heard like about this episode. insane and yeah. chaotic yeah. and she's really good in it the acting's good the writing's really good and um, I just can't recommend it enough it's I have not heard one bad thing about this yeah. show. So many people have recommended it. I, the only yeah, bad thing is it. it can be very stressful to watch. Yeah, yeah. Only 30-minute episodes. So. I think I watched the first two episodes when it first came out, and it yeah. was... Uh, 
was not in the right it felt very anxiety it was yeah. triggering so I'm gonna go back it gets out. less that as yeah. it goes yeah. on yeah. but if it yeah. makes you feel like that then like you're just like really into it it's doing, I mean, job. It's re- it's it's doing his job yeah well, and I think you could you could probably say I've never worked in a restaurant like sometimes working in a restaurant is very chaotic kitchen, I yeah. Yeah, it's been recommended to me by so many people, and I've only heard good things. It's one Emmys. I just cannot bring myself to... You can't revisit those years? Yeah, it's like if they made a show about a library, and everyone's telling you, like, you have to watch the show. It's about a library. I would watch but it. But I'm like, but you know they are not going to capture yeah. what it's like to be... I, I, but I, I mean, know. it's not really about that. It's you about know, the It's characters. about the relationships yeah. and investing in people and family and that sort of thing. Is it heartwarming? Yeah, I mean, yeah. As the first season, not as much. The okay. second season, you start, you know, to learn more about the characters, and you see how he's really investing in these mm-hmm. people, who some of them are pretty down on their luck, and yeah, you know, it's it's really good. There's okay. some, I heard it was picked up for season three, yeah, so that's it's, good. It's okay, kind of become a a thing. It's a yeah, phenomenon. Yeah. Is the lead actor Gene Wilder's son? Did I read that somewhere? No. Uh, he does I, kind of look like him. There but was, yeah, do you read Yahoo? Right? Because Yahoo had one of those weird ads that you click, like a, uh, yeah. um, the clickbait that <clears throat> did have a side-by-side of Gene yeah. Wilder. And I've him. seen it as a yeah. meme, just because they do look they so look similar, yeah. but they are not related. <laughs> yes. Okay, I'm going to cut, I'm gonna cut that does, out of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm not spreading. Keep it in. You're probably not the only one that thinks that. Yeah, then. they do look quite a bit alike. <laughs> Um, all right, I'll go next. So um, my I've watched a lot of murder mystery series, but I'm not going to talk about any of them. <laughs> Try something a little different. So this is a, a comedy series on Netflix called, sorry, yes, Netflix, called Fisk, F-I-S-K. It's a um, little half-hour comedy. It's a very low-energy, I wrote down, like, office-adjacent type comedy. So it, it does take place in Australia, and Helen is the lead character, Helen Tudor Fisk. Fisk is her last name. She, in the right off the bat, she's newly divorced. She's lost her fantastic job, high-paying uh, lawyer-type job. So she's really down. She's, you know, li- living in, I think it's her aunt's house or her friend's house. She, she really has um, kind of lost everything. And fallen from grace is a good way to put it. So she takes this job at this really grubby type of um, law firm it's actually called Gruber and Gruber and that's where most of the the series takes place within the office walls so there's characters uh, her office mates are Roz and uh, George uh, their brother and sister and then there's George Roz I'm sorry the sister is Roz the brother is Ray and then George is the receptionist probate clerk slash webmaster he likes to be called the webmaster because he's super proud of that. And so he's, I think, the best character in the show. He's very funny. He's a gamer. He's total Gen Z. But he's super quiet and sweet. But he also is can be aggressive. Hard to, um, like, he'll do things like they'll, like, get, get us, um, you know, noodles for lunch. And he'll Uber eat them, like, at, from the place across the street. Because <laughs> he's, like, passive aggressive. It's very funny. So that becomes a whole storyline. Like, you can't get... Um, a certain type of food because then you're going to have what if it has flavors if they went to another restaurant and and these stupid things that the office would hold on you know catch on to it's that kind of humor so the overarching plot is going to be I'm sure her redemption there's two seasons the season two just came out I think last week it's I think six or eight episodes I already finished it Um, they all have very interesting fashion choices she wears a brown suit every day because she doesn't want to have to think about clothing 
Um, so it's just like silly little funny and it's a little wobbly. It got 98% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is a good rating. Um, the critics were like, ah, she's a stand-up comic, uh, the lead actress who is very famous in Australia. So she kind of had a, a there, there was a lot of expectation, I think, in Australia for the show, but I don't know who she was before. I think it's funny. And second season, even funnier, perfect show to put on when you're cooking dinner and you just there and you can your kids can be in the room when you're watching the show there it's not uh you know super adult humor um very funny good dialogue just low energy but highly recommend it's called fisk yeah it's fun it's a good little a good little bite-sized show nice Marianne, do you have a show i do have a show um and i was afraid peter was gonna start talking about it when he said <laughs> that he watched the second season that came out this year um i the show that i am talking about is called our flag means death and there's two seasons and the second one just came out um and just finished we don't know if there's going to be a season three yet i'm ho- i hope there is but it did end so that you know it would be okay if there wasn't it ended nicely um so it's billed as a romantic comedy um and it stars um taika watiti who did what we do in the shadows which i know you guys have talked about on this show before um and he also uh, he stars in it and he produces it and writes and everything. It is not a documentary style though, the way what we do in the shadows is, and um, it's about pirates this time, so not vampires. And <laughs> it takes place during the golden era of piracy in the 1700s, and um, it stars Reese Darby opposite Taika, and he plays Steed Bonnet, who is. Um, this aristocrat, um, he leaves his fancy life um, and his wife and his two kids because he dreams of always becoming a pirate. And he um, is in his, uh, probably like, you know, he's in his middle ages and he played, if anybody knows, I know Peter probably knows, uh, Flight of the Concords. Um, he played Murray in Flight of the Concords, and he he's also a, a werewolf in uh, What We Do in the Shadow. They had werewolf. Oh, he guy. did. He was yeah. in an episode. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, he's hilarious, and um, so anyway, so he becomes a pirate. He has the ship built. Um, he has so much money, and he tells his wife about it, and she's just like, "Are you kidding me? Like, I'm not going on a pirate ship. I'm not taking the kids on here. Like, I like our life like this." Um, and they were. They were not two people that would have gotten married. They were brought together by their families. Um, so he's not really invested in his life. So he leaves, and it's a mishmash of pirates that he has working on his ship. And um, in about three episodes, two or three episodes, um, Taika comes in, and he plays Blackbeard. And these are both two real pirates in, like, in real life, Blackbeard and Steed Bonnet. And they actually did... Um, plunder they sailed and they captured ships together um so it's kind of like historical fiction in a loose sense um and so eventually the two pirates um steed and blackbeard fall for each other and i do love queer male love stories like that's just i love it so um they're so good together acting and they're really good friends in real life it like shows um the pirates use modern slang, modern curse words. Um, it's really, really funny. Um, my friend who recommended it said, you got to get to the third episode and then you'll really like it. And I did feel that. Like the first two episodes, I was kind of like, oh, I don't know. This is a little slow for me. But then as soon as that third episode hit, I was I was laughing the whole time. Um, 
it was so good. Um, and it really like, you know, there's a lot of action, obviously, because it's pirates. Um, but there's also a lot of like affection and, you know, heartwarming bits. And it's really hilarious. It's really well written. Um, Where can we find that show? This is on HBO. Oh, on Max. Max. Sorry, yeah, okay. Max. Um, and there's only eight episodes, I think, right? Eight in each it's season. Short. It's short, yeah, and they're like thirty-ish minutes. Um, I loved the ending. The ending was great. Um, and there's a lot of special guest stars in each episode. Like there was uh, Minnie Drivers yeah, in it. She was hilarious. Um, Will Arnett, who's also hilarious, and they both play like you know different pirates and. Um, Leslie Jones from Saturday Night Live is in it. And who was the guy from Saturday Night Live who did Portland, Portlandia? Fred Armisen. Fred, Fred Armisen. Armisen. Yes. It, it's so, it's really funny. And um, and then I started to watch What We Do in the Shadows, which I did try a while ago after our podcast when Christina talked about it. Um, and now I'm like, okay, I like it. Yes, yeah, yeah, you have to. And that's how I feel like this kind of was too. I wish I had you on the last episode because we talked about... What oh. our flag means death season no, two for no. like fifteen minutes. Oh man, and now I'm just rambling on again. I would have. Uh, I, I actually thought about putting that? on, but I thought Marianne's going to do this. I, I was afraid Peter it did because like, I had to watch uh, a lot of TV. A few of us are co-signing this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wait, who, who I was actually the one it? who brought it up. Oh, you did. Yeah, it was okay. one of my favorite shows of the year. Okay. Um, I already talked about my thoughts on it at length, uh-huh. but I just uh, two things occurred to me while you were speaking. It's. Mm-hmm. And I already forgot one of them. But what I will say is it's less historical fiction and more like the best fan fiction ever. Yes, yes. that's a good that, that's description. A good that is a really good description. Yeah. It's um, funny and sweet, which is it, nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah like you wouldn't think, right? Like yeah. Yeah. And sweet, violent. But it, and <laughs> yeah. violent, yeah. But there's like all these really sweet moments where you're just like, oh, come on. Yeah. That's so cute. Yeah. Yeah, totally sign on. Sign on for yeah. Our Flag Means Death. Um, oh, I remember the other thing I was thinking of. If if I agree with like the give it a few episodes thing, mm-hmm. because when I went first started watching this in season one, I was expecting something like what we do in the shadows that's more like the mockumentary yeah. style, and uh, it, it's not that at all. Mm-hmm. So I'm watching it, and I'm like, oh, this is not what I thought it would be. Yeah. And but once the characters click with you. You lo- every character in the show. Every I character, love. Every yeah. Character. They're just so the chef is hilarious. I love um, Joel Fry. What is he? Frenchy is so funny. The Swede. The Swede yeah. is hilarious, and he's in the Connors. Um, oh, is he? He is. He does. He plays Jackie. Um, ends up getting married. And it's Jackie's. Oh, I know. Yeah, I yeah. He plays the Swede in there, and his his storyline is hilarious by the second um, season. Yeah. Don't be put off. By the fact that there is violence in pirates, like if you're like Ted Lasso or Shit's Creek, and you're mm-hmm. looking for something with kind of those vibes, I think this would be a good transition. Yeah, something clever. You know, you really do have to pay attention to it, though. It's not something where you could like sit on your phone right. and and watch it. Yeah. All right. Are we on to music now? Okay. Sure. Can I go first because I have a lot yes. of albums to talk about. I had more than I thought I did. Yes. Uh, Peter, I'm glad you're on this episode. Um, so. The first album I want to talk about is... I'm just going to pull up my notes again because I went back to my last episode's notes to talk about um, Our Flag Means Death. Um, Okay, so the first album I have, and I have to pull up my notes because the album title I'm going to mess up every time. It is called Fly or Die Fly or Die Fly or Die parentheses World War. (laughs) What is happening? That's crazy. It's by uh, an artist called Jamie Branch. Um, It's actually a posthumous album, posthumous album. Uh, Jamie Branch passed away in April of 2022, and she had recorded the album before, but her band 
kind of finished it in the editing room or the record, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's a jazz album. It's been described as punk jazz, and I sign off on that as well. It's very frenetic. It's got a lot of verve. Very, very energetic. Fantastic album. Um, Jamie Branch, by the way, is from Huntington, New York. Um, and I think she. this is her fourth album. All of her albums are called Fly or Die Fly. So I think she just adds an or die fly at the end of each album. To um, distinguish between to distinguish the one before, yeah. right? <laughs> it's jazz. Yeah. Uh, those jazz artists. Um, but, they're, but it does have um, other musical genres in there as well. There's a folk track called The Mountain that's fantastic. Um, there's a Cuban jazz album, a song rather, that's uh, called Baba Louie. That's probably my favorite track on the album. Um, and then there's also just like all out raw, just jazz explosion. It's a four piece band, I believe. Um, and she plays the trumpet. Yeah, it's just a really, really fantastic album. There's always like one jazz album that just blows me away every year. And this is definitely in my top three, probably. I'm not a music connoisseur. Most of the other people on your podcast are. So when are you listening to an album like that? Are you just like turning it on Sunday morning and blasting it through the house and swinging well, right your kid around? Right now it's all Christmas around? music in my house. Right. Well, but, that's fair. But yeah. like, is it? do you have music on all the time? Are you just a car listener or, or just in your headphones? There, what are you playing in? Yeah, there's very few times throughout the day where I don't have headphones in and I'm listening to a podcast or music. Or music yeah. yeah, mostly podcasts. But uh, around this time of year is I was explaining this in the previous episode. Like I don't I'm not as tapped into music as I once was. Right. So the end of the year when the best of albums lists come out, that's when I start doing my like research in quotes. So uh, yeah, my music listening spikes in December and kind of trickles yeah. out throughout the year. But that's kind of how I stay on top of things. And uh, this album came out of nowhere for me, and it really blew me away. Definitely check that one out. Um, I'm just going to say another one while I'm still here, because I have a couple other to talk about. The other album is Working on the World by Iris Dement. She is a country singer. I think she's in her 60s, um, but she is still kicking ass. I will say that. I'll bleep it if I have to. But, <laughs> man, this is an awesome, awesome album. I talk about this with my wife all the time, about how female country singers are just not given the respect that they are due because they are some of the best singers in the world Mm -hmm. and the country music kind of genre is just dominated by in my opinion just the most low effort male singers uh out there so when i hear an album like this i just i have to applaud it it's so good it's so powerful iris has an amazing um amazing amazing voice but the lyrics are what really blew me away. And it's it's the way that like country music has such a way of just boiling down like everything to like just one line, just the so simple truths. And um, she doesn't mince her words. It's a no-nonsense album. I mean, she's very straightforward with what she's saying. It's a very political album, but it's not pandering. Like I said, like I was saying, it, it's very current and it has very direct messages. Yeah, just beautiful, beautiful songs, and there's some beautiful ballads on the album as well. But the two tracks that I am playing every single day 
um, are Going Down to Sing in Texas. That's my favorite album, uh, favorite song on the album. That's probably the most political one as well. And then Working on the World, the title track is also fantastic. I'm going down to sing in Texas where anybody can carry a gun. But we will all be so much safer there. The biggest lie under the sun. But then there's also some beautiful just ballads and melodies in the uh, on the album as well. I won't ask you why and how long are two just beautiful tracks as well. I, I haven't heard that new album, but I really like Iris Dement too. I saw her live years ago when I still lived back in Utah, but. Uh, I always love her song. When, probably one of her, her most famous songs is Let the Mystery Be, and it's kind of her talking about her feelings on God and religion, which is that she doesn't know and no one does, basically. <laughs> she's just going to... And she's okay with that, like, letting the mystery be, which is uh, uh, the other song that other people might have heard. Um, I don't remember. I think it's called Little Boxes. I don't know. It's the, the starting song, if you guys ever watched that show, Weeds, that was oh, on the show 10 years ago. Little, little House, yeah. Little boxes yeah, that's her. Five. Yeah, But anyway, I, I haven't heard it much of hers recently, but I... This I, album, she is like, really good. start to finish, is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I highly recommend it. Um, and then, I'm just going to keep talking until somebody takes the microphone away. This is my honorable mention, and I'm just going to look right at Peter on this one. Have you heard the new Sparks album this year? I've heard bits and pieces of it. It's pretty good. It's not as good as their last album, which was my album of the year that year it came out. I think it was two years ago. But this one's still really good. It's called um, ba -ba -ba -ba. This Girl is Crying in Her Latte is the name of the album. <laughs> and the title track of that has a great music video with Kate Blanchett. Oh, yeah, that's who, what I've, I've seen. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's worth watching uh, for that alone. It's just a great short music video with Kate Blanchett dressed up in, like, a f full yellow, like, mustard yellow yeah. suit just dancing. In a classic Kate Blanchett outfit. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I, I like the album. It's, it's very, very sparks. You know, it's an electronic kind of poppy music, but the lyrics are very um, satirical. Like, there's a song called uh, Nothing is Good as They Say It Is, but it's from the perspective of a baby who was just born, like, who's already jaded by the world. <laughs> Nothing is as good as they say it is. That's the way it is. I wish I'd known beforehand. I was born just 22 hours ago, but I want to go back to my former quarters. Mama, mama, can you... Um, anyway, very, very funny. Um, definitely worth checking out the new Sparks album. That's all. That's my music. I'm done. Alex. Does anybody else have music besides me? <laughs> I do not have music. So I'll go right. next then. Um, I just have one. I, I I don't listen to a ton of new music because you know I'm old and and we like what we like. The band Slow Dive is one of my favorites from high school. They put out a new album, and if you listen to Alex and I's uh, podcast about record collection, we do have their self-titled album in our collection here, but. Um, if people who don't know slow dive is they they were part of what was called the shoegaze movement in the late 80s early 90s in england and it's kind of music it's guitar based music with a lot of heavy feedback but it's not heavy music it's um hypnotic kind of spacey music mm. um and they they were one of the big bands for that in the early 90s and they broke up in 1995 and then back in 
2012, 13, they reunited for the first time and put out a, a new album. That was the self-titled. That's the one we have. And then this year they put out a new album called um, Everything is Alive. And uh, compared to the last album, it's a, it's a slower, kind of more contemplative. Um, uh, if people listening know Slow Dive a little bit more like their final original album, Pygmalion, uh, it hasn't gotten quite as good um, response as their first reunion album but i i prefer it it's um i don't know it's just i like a drifty peaceful <laughs> pretty album and uh it's just got one after another it still has a few of the more kind of driving stereotypical slow dive albums but the one uh track i recommend in particular is called skin in the game Uh, everything is aligned by slow dive. Nice. All right, thanks. So I don't have music. I have I have a podcast. Is that okay to switch gears, or did you have a music? I don't have anything else. Okay, so I'll talk about um, my podcast that I listened to just finished up. I think yesterday or the day before. Um, it's an eight episode docu series called Burden of Guilt, uh, which doesn't really. It sounds like every other true crime podcast, but. Um, it kept me listening through all eight episodes. So the story behind uh, this particular podcast is a woman named Tracy Raquel. Is she When she was two years old, her four-month-old baby brother, Matthew, died. And throughout her childhood, nobody ever really spoke about Matthew, how he died, or the circumstances. Um, simultaneously, Tracy was growing up in a very uh, abusive, emotionally, physically, um, spiritual every type of abuse this poor child endured a very traumatic upbringing but she never forgot about that she had had a brother so i might have a little bit of the timelines wrong but it's still just um, and i'm not giving it all away but when she was in her early teens um she asks I think it was a relative. She's always asking, like, what happened with Matthew? Like, what? we never go to the grave, whatever. And they said, well, it's because you you killed Matthew. You you threw him out of the crib and you, you know. So she all of a sudden had this weight of news that she had killed Matthew. Um, it didn't quite add up to her. She was just like 15. Um, she went through a suicidal period. Her mother had tried to have her committed. Um, but... The, uh, the mother and her father all were in agreement, like, yes, you you did that. You killed Matthew. But something didn't set right with her. So she starts at 15, starts her own investigation into the death of her little brother. And for, you know, her majority of her life, like 40 years of her life, she spent trying to find out really what happened to Matthew, um, if she or who was responsible for his death, and bringing, um, if necessary, that person to justice. So it's a Nancy Glass is the narrator um, or the podcast host, and they are going to be airing this as a docu series, a documentary series on Paramount Plus starting next year. So if you prefer to watch it that way, I thought it was really good. There was there's a lot of twists and turns to the story of like is her father really her father? There's a paternity story, and then there's um, a mistrial, and it's really. Um, 
it's good. It's short. I think they're about 30, 40 minute episodes. And if you're a true crime buff, I think this one is worthy of watching. And just her as a human being, I have so much admiration for her because she came from such a place of, I mean, some, I won't, some of the things she's endured, you, you will be, you'll be horrified. But she took the complete opposite route in her life. And she is just this wonderful mother and just advocate and um, really just amazing what she came through. Instead of repeating the cycle of abuse, she broke the cycle of abuse. And, and I love to hear that story. But it really what she went through. So anyway, it's called Burden of Guilt. Um, I think I got it on just your regular podcast app. I'm sure it's on all of them and Spotify, all that. Um, and they're all out now. They were releasing them once a week, but le- this week was the last week, so you could catch them all. Definitely yeah. Sounds really good. It's good. Do you know when the series is coming out? She just keeps, she says at the end of every episode, uh, Paramount Plus in 2024, so I, I'm not sure what month. Um, for some reason, I feel like it's going to be early in the year because they really are pushed, they're really promoting the documentary part yeah. of it, yeah. This is very good. And her mother, like the mother's still alive. Her father's still alive. So you get to learn about them. It's, it was re- quite riveting. So that's my my recommendation of my of a podcast from 2023. Nice. Sounds great. Yeah. All right. Those are some great suggestions. Jen, Peter, Marianne, thank you all for joining me on this episode. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks, Alex. And yeah. thanks for all of you for a happy 2023 here at Save the Library. Aww. It's been a good year. It's been a good year. And 2024 is going to be even better. And this episode marks one year of the podcast, too. Oh, happy happy birthday! The premiere. Between the shelves. Yes, between the shelves. One year old. They haven't taken us down yet. It's survived. It's a first year. Please throw some uh, celebratory noises behind that. (laughs) That uh... (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.